Hi, thanks for joining us for Stock and Leaders Facebook Live event, Moving In Before You Tie the Knot. Let's face it, times have changed, and these days, couples aren't waiting to tie the knot before they buy their first home. But what happens to the property if the relationship gets cut short? Stock and Leaders real estate attorneys Dave Jones and Peter Ruth have seen this type of situation play out before. That is why they're here to answer your questions. Here's how this works. You'll post your question as a comment and we'll pass along to the guys to address. This session is intended to provide general information only and should not be interpreted as direct legal advice. If seeking legal advice, please consult one of our real estate attorneys at 717-846-9800. Good morning, everybody. Thanks for joining us again. Uh, as Kim just said, Dave Jones, Peter Ruth here live. Uh, I'm Peter Ruth. I am an attorney in the real estate department at Stock and & Leader. And good morning. I'm Dave Jones. Uh, and I guess we're going to jump right into it. As Kim said, we're going to be talking today about uh, some of the pitfalls and issues you might run into if you're looking to purchase a home uh, with somebody else before you might get married to that person. So uh, the first question we have, is it possible to have just one name on the deed, but both names on the mortgage? What do you think, Dave? Well, I think generally the answer is going to be no. You must have the same names on the deed that you have on the mortgage. A lender may permit you to do uh, to have just one name on the deed and both names on the mortgage, but that typically is not the case. Um, it is possible, though, just to have one person's name on the note. So if uh, the, the gentleman or the, or the lady uh, is better qualified uh, financially, doesn't have any credit issues, so on and so forth, they may be the one that, that take out the note, and then they put the name, uh, both names on the deed and on the mortgage. That's right. And just so everybody is kind of on the same page with our terminology, the note is, is the promissory note. That's the promise to pay back the obligation to the bank. The mortgage is the document that gets recorded. That's what actually encumbers the property as a lien against the real estate. Um, and again, the, the, the note carries personal liability with it, and the mortgage is really just limit up to the, the interest in, in the, the ownership of the home. So if the bank would end up foreclosing, they'd be able to go after both individuals on the deed and the mortgage for repayment through the foreclosure sale and getting the house sold to another person to get that money back. But uh, if there's a deficiency there, so let's say you had a $100,000 mortgage, they're only able to get $90,000 back from the sale, they could go after the individual on the note for personal liability for that remaining $10,000 balance. So as Dave said, typically you're gonna, if you're on the deed, you're gonna have to be on the mortgage, but just because you're on the mortgage doesn't mean you have to be on the promissory note, so. All right, let's see if we have another question. If I only include one name on the deed and then get married, so should I switch it to both names? Well, I guess it depends on how much you love <laughs> your spouse, whether or not you want to put them on. But all joking aside, there's actually a couple reasons to put your spouse's name on the deed. Uh, first and foremost, it, it, for estate planning purposes, when a property is in the name of a husband and wife, it automatically goes to the spouse who survived. So if husband uh, passes away, wife would then get the property automatically on the deed. That's right, yeah. And, and you know, it's, it's really up to those individuals. There's also protection that can, uh, that can be afforded. So when you own title, uh, to real estate as a husband and wife. It's called owning it as tenancy by the entirety. Okay, so your tenants by the entirety is with your spouse. That gives you extra protection when it comes to creditors, and, and most uh, typically it's going to be judgment creditors. 
So in the event that, uh, let's say, you get in a car accident and the car is only titled in the husband's name, okay, that they could get a judgment against that husband for a few hundred thousand dollars. If title to real estate is owned by husband and, and the spouse, that would be protected from that judgment that would be incurred only in one spouse's name. So it's probably a good uh, a, a reason to have that in title in both names. It's not imperative. It's not essential. Um, but, but obviously there are some benefits there as far as, you know, uh, shielding your assets in the event something like that would happen. Yeah, Peter, there are some circumstances, though, where you might not want to put it in both Absolutely. names. Uh, one, if you have a prenuptial agreement that says one each party keeps their own assets and one of the parties, for example, uh, had an inheritance from mm -hmm. their grandmother or their parents or whatever the case may be, and they use that money to put down in the house, maybe the intent was not to have that be a part of the marital estate. That's right. So they might keep that separate. So if you have any questions along those lines, you may want to talk to your attorney and your realtor when you're looking at a home to ask some of those questions That's and determine right. whether it makes sense to put it in both names or not. Yeah, really it's, it comes down to the intent of the parties. Is it meant to be a joint asset shared between the, the spouses or is it meant to be only an asset of one of those spouses? And that can really direct your question. So just to remind you guys, if you're just tuning in, we're here today to talk about some of the pitfalls you might run into uh, in the event you're looking to acquire property in, in you and a significant other's name before you guys actually tie the knot. Um, so we're going to move on to our next question. If my boyfriend and I have both names on the mortgage and we break up, what happens? Well, that might not be the last time you're going to talk to that boyfriend in the event things have split up, and I'll let Dave explain why. Well, you're going to have to make a, uh, you're going to have to figure out how to unentangle or disentangle yourself from that situation. So what happens is if it's in both names uh, and there's both names on the mortgage, and let's say girlfriend's going to leave with the property, um, boyfriend's not going to want to be on the mortgage, he's not going to be on the note, and he may be willing to sign off on the deed provided any money he may have put into the property, he may want back out. Um, so there's a lot of circumstances where you're going to have to cooperate. Uh, if you can't agree, you may want to sell the house, and then again, you're going to have to interact in order to get the house sold. You're both going to have to sign the sales agreement. You're both going to have to appear at closing, sign the deed, come up with a sales price, all those good sorts of things. So there are. it's not the last time you'll ever see your boyfriend once you break up. Uh, particularly if you're in real estate together, uh, but you're going to have to figure some things out. Right. Yeah, and if it's an ugly breakup, unfortunately, it did, as Dave said, it's not going to be the last time you see him. The other thing to keep in mind um, before you even get to that point, uh, it, it might only come up once you have that breakup and you're looking at, oh, what do I do now to get out of the mortgage? I mean, think about, and we've had circumstances like this where, um, you know, one of the significant others is going to put a substantial amount towards the down payment, uh, but then the other spouse or the other significant other is going to then contribute to the mortgage payments, utility payments, and things like that. It's great to have that agreement kind of verbally, uh, but I, we would always recommend reduce it to writing. I mean, is the $30,000 in the event of a breakup, is that significant other going to look to get that equity out of it if there's any equity to be had, or is that going to be shared? Is that more of a gift towards you know the purchase of, of what would hopefully be the marital home but is no longer going to be? So many things to think about, I think, again, to getting back to that point of, what are those pitfalls? That's just that's just one example of what could happen in the event that you guys do break up. So. And one point of caution: sometimes you get so upset or you're so emotionally involved, you don't want to have anything to do with the house or the other person. Don't just walk away because that person, if you're if you're on the, the deed and you're on the mortgage, and you're not making your payments, that can impact your own personal credit rating. Yeah. So you want to make sure that you are involved, that you're bringing. 
resolution to the issue of having both names on the real estate, particularly if you're not if you're not living there anymore and you're not participating in the finances for that house. That's right. Yeah, we get, we get calls all the time where one significant other calls in and says, "Well, I left, and and the other significant other was going to take care of everything." And we say, "Well, did you did you refi to get your name off the mortgage?" Well, no, I didn't. Okay, did you get your name off the deed? Well, well no, I didn't. He's going to take care of all of that. Well, it's one of those things now, if that significant other was missing payments, that now affects your credit score. So if you have moved on, you know, and, and you're with somebody else and you're looking to apply and you're not checking your credit score that frequently, you might actually have a lot of kind of skeletons in the closet when it comes to that, that property that you did own and still own. It could impede you from moving forward with the rest of your life. So, In particular, if you want to buy another piece of pro if you want to buy another home, you want to buy a townhouse or whatever the case may be and you do a credit check, your debt to income ratio right. is going to be out of whack because you're now on another note and another mortgage. So it's important to get that taken care of again so that you have a clean bill of health moving forward. Right. We're going to move on to our next question. Do lenders consider how long a couple has been together? That's, that's a good question. That might be more, more for a lender, uh, but I'll, I'll tell you kind of in my experience, I don't I, I don't think it factors in that much as long as uh, it, it's all risk-based lending uh, is really what it comes down to. So they're looking at your credit score, as Dave said, they're looking at your debt-to-income ratio. Um, they're looking at what amount you're going to be able to put down on the purchase. Is it going to be conventional or FHA financing where you might not have such a high deposit to come down? Um, I really don't think that factors into their decision at all. Um, I will, not that it couldn't uh, from outside of the underwriting perspective, so it might not be a checklist item, but um, in my opinion, I don't think it really matters that much as long as the finances. Yeah, as a basic out. rule, they don't really care how you take title. Right. As long as you qualify for the mortgage uh, and the note, you're uh, going to qualify. Right, exactly. So we have a question that just came in. My girlfriend and I live in a home that I own. Does my homeowner's insurance policy cover her belongings? What if we, we run a small business out of the home? All right, so you, have, you, have, you own the home, girlfriend lives there, does your homeowner's insurance policy cover her belongings? Dave, what do you think? My gut reaction would be no, because you are the owner of the home, um, and, and it covers your belongings and your personal items, but Dave might have a different opinion on that. So. I, I think, actually I disagree with Peter. I think it might actually cover those belongings because they're there by your permission as the owner. So whether you have a formal lease arrangement or not, I think that the homeowner's insurance would cover those belongings uh, up to um, whatever the amount of your policy is for, for those belongings. Right. Obviously, it'll cover the house. And then what if we run a small business out of the home? Right. Um, I guess it depends on what kind of business it is. Uh, typically, with small businesses, if you have people coming to the home, if you have invitees, uh, business invitees, I would recommend that you have uh, liability coverage over and above what your typical homeowner's insurance uh, would cover. Mm -hmm. um, also, maybe some business interruption insurance, some of those other types of insurance that might be out there to protect the business owner. Right. And you can talk to your, your insurance agent or, or broker about that and exactly. give you some, some guidance yeah. in that area. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Just talk with your insurance broker about it because they're going to be the ones who can put you in, in touch. Depending on the type of business that you're running, there's certain risks, obviously, that are uh, inherent to any type of business uh, and different risks depending on that business. So you're, you're going to want to make sure you talk to your insurance, uh, either your agent, your broker, uh, make sure that they're comfortable, they understand what you're trying to do in the home, um, and then that way they can they can guide you to the right policy for you. So. And for what it's worth, you can get the answer about your first question about whether That's the right. girlfriend's belongings are covered if you ask your insurance agent. They'll right. give you a specific answer. Next question we have, should we have one name or both names on utilities? Okay. Yeah. 
I think it depends on that agreement we were talking about earlier. Uh, when it comes down to it, uh, you can split the utilities however you want. It, in a lot of cases, uh, I know personally, when before I got married, we bought I bought a house with my girlfriend, who's now my wife. I think Peter did the same. I did thing. as well. Yeah. And we split utilities different ways. So my name was on some, and her name was was on the others. Um, when it comes down to it, your sewer and refuse are really all we typically care about. That it's in the name that's on the deed, and the reason being is if you don't pay that, that can become a lien against your property. And no one likes liens against a property if you don't make those payments. That's right. Yeah, and absent the, the water and sewer, I really it's, it's really up to um, to the utility company. You know, a lot of times it just depends on who fills out the form as far as the transfer when you guys acquire the property. Um, as Dave said, I, I did move into the home with my fiance at the time before we ended up getting married, um, and it was just a simple fact of, well, hey, I have the forms, I'm going to fill them out. So I know there are some utilities in my name, there's some utilities in both names, um, but, but other than your sewer and refuse and what we call kind of lienable utilities, meaning, as Dave said, they could put a lien against the property for failure to pay, um, it, it really, uh, it, at least from what I know, you want to check with your utility company, it's not going to matter. So. And as a practical, as a practical consideration, uh, some utilities won't talk to you if your name is not on, on the utility bill. So uh, I know sometimes I can't call in to the utility and my wife can, and if her name's not on it and they won't talk to her, it kind of defeats the purpose of having us both working on household right. issues. So sometimes you put both of them on, or at least have them as an authorized uh, person on the account, so that they can they can speak to your utility, and you know, right. whether it be Comcast or Verizon or whoever your internet provider is, it's. it's a better idea, I think, to have both on there just so they can talk about yeah. it. Yeah, and, and again, to kind of a, a point, um, and I don't know how much it drastically affects the credit score, but I think it does show that if you if you do have a significant other that might not be um, uh, on the title to the property because of prior credit issues, but you can get their name on some utilities and it's being paid on time, that can benefit the credit score because it's showing a series of, of prompt payments, of timely payments, and, and no missed payments. So um, again, probably won't have a dramatic impact, but again, if, if getting credit is tough for that person, having them exposed and showing that they have some responsibility out there for utilities for certain things could have an impact, uh, and, and it does just go to show, hey, my name's on the utility, I have some shared responsibility here, and those payments are being made on time. And again, we're if you just joined us late, we're talking about buying a property with your significant other before you get married. So that's these are some of the pitfalls and considerations that you want to take into account in that instance. Yep. Um, I think an important question, I don't, I don't know if we've, we've gotten this, but an important one to talk about is if in fact you do get, you uh, do buy property with your significant other and you don't intend to get married for some time, one thing you may want to do is make sure you have a will in place. Because if your intent is really for that other person to get the property, um, you may want to try, put that in your will because if mom and dad or someone helped you put up the down money, they may be a little upset that your significant other is getting the house and not getting, right. you know, paying that money back or whatever the case may be. So it's important to cover your real estate issue, but also your estate planning issue yeah. in that case. A lot of younger couples don't think about that. I think it's important to take that into consideration. Absolutely. And, and again, it just from a, from a macro level, so to speak, it, that, these can be very kind of uncomfortable questions to, to get answers to before you actually move in. Um, and the reason for that, obviously, you don't want to think worst case scenario when everything seems to be going well in your relationship, you're taking this giant step forward with that significant other. But it, it really goes to show a sign of maturity to say, hey, let's deal with these issues up front 
in the event something would happen. At settlement, I always joke that as attorneys, we tend to think worst case scenario. Right. Um, you know, if we draft an agreement, 99% of it hopefully will never factor in and won't play out because it's only contingencies of if something happens that we don't like, what, what is the solution to that? So just have that conversation, although it is somewhat uncomfortable, it's gonna be beneficial in the long run to say, hey, if this doesn't work out, are we okay with this happening with the property? So either I will keep it, we'll refinance it, we'll get it out. You know, are we going or are we going to go through the expense of changing our estate plan to actually do this? It can kind of also give you a good gauge of, of how uh, seriously that significant other is taking this purchase, which as we said in our last session, could be the most significant purchase you're gonna make in your entire life. So just think about those things at the front end. And even if you're not ready to do a will, there's a different way to take title when you own as a boyfriend and girlfriend, or boyfriend and boyfriend, or girlfriend and girlfriend. Uh, it could be that you take title as joint tenants with right of survivorship. And I like to call that the survivor wins. So whoever passes away first, the property automatically would go to the surviving person who's left. So right. it, is, it is another way to address that issue. It's one thing though you want to talk to your realtor or your attorney about when you're trying to put, when you're going on title, how you want to take title is, is just almost important as, as what the terms of your note and your mortgage That's are. right, absolutely. Good point. Another question here, do I need an agreement in writing before moving in? Um, no, <laughs> you, you don't. Is it advisable? Probably. Uh, and, and it really depends, I guess, on are you buying a home and moving in, or is this going to be a rental with a with a significant other? But um, you know, as as I said before, as attorneys, I tend to think worst case scenario. It's always beneficial to have an agreement um, where you say, "Hey, this is you know, in the event things go bad, this is what's going to happen." But it, it kind of reminds me of a, a certain sitcom where they have a roommate agreement. I don't think you need to go that belt and suspenders with it, but it might not be a bad idea at least to have a discussion on those items and hopefully get on the same page and then to really protect yourself, reduce it to writing if you feel like it might be an issue. Yeah, but that being said, even if you don't have one before, an agreement before you move in, if you move in together, you can always reduce that agreement to writing right. and have it for going forward. Uh, the sooner you get it in writing, the better, I would think. Yeah. Because then you don't have, well, I said this and you said that um, down the road. Right. But get it in writing, get it signed, uh, each have a copy of it and uh, go from there. Yeah, I, and like when you're making your mortgage uh, application, if you both are applying or anything like that, that's a great time to sit down with somebody who, who knows about home ownership, being that, that real estate agent, being that mortgage broker. I mean, maybe not your mortgage broker, but at least they're familiar with the situation of, okay, have you thought about utilities? Who's going to be paying the mortgage? Is the same person gonna be paying the mortgage and the utilities? You know, what contributions are each of you going to be making? Are you gonna pay the mortgage out of a joint account? Or is one person going to pay that and the utilities then are paid by the other person? There's so many items, I think, that, that could go missed if you're not sitting down with, with a professional who deals with this every day, either your real estate attorney or, or a real estate agent or other licensee to say, have we, have we forgotten anything that might be important as far as you know um, who's going to pay for what and how is it going to be paid? It's really important at the front end, even if it's not a formal agreement, at least have a discussion on it so you guys are on the same page when you move. Absolutely. It's a lot of times it's the first time you lived with that person. Yeah. It's just, you know, if you, if you come from an apartment or a rental or something, you, you often will have that worked out. Yeah. But if this is the first time you're moving in with somebody, um, that often can be a difficult right. time and adjustment. So make sure you get it writing when you, when you go into it. Yeah, and the rental, that's a, that's a great point. You know, renting with somebody is one thing because, hey, our hot water heater blew out. What do we do? We call the landlord. Landlord comes and fix it. 
now you're responsible for those repairs. Exactly so right. <laughs> when, when that thing blows out and you get a quote for $2,500 to get a new one, okay, well, we, we understand utilities, we understand the mortgage, what about home repairs? We haven't had that conversation. How are we gonna, gonna finance this thing? How are we both gonna contribute to it? That, and, I, and I, we've had cases where that has been the, the tipping point, and that has spurred the, uh, um, you know, the, the separation of the parties at that point just because they, they couldn't agree on how that money was going to be spent. So have a conversation up front, sit down with a professional just to say, hey, is there anything else that we forgot that we might want to include in that? Another question, what does title as joint tenants mean? So this is coming, I'm guessing, from Dave's question. Um, there are three ways to hold title in Pennsylvania. Uh, the first way is called tenants in common. So Dave and I find a property, we like it, we put an offer in. Dave and I obviously are not married, so we can't hold title as joint as tenants by the entireties. And we've elected to not hold title as tenants, joint tenants with right of survivorship. So in that situation, Dave and I each own a 50% interest in the real estate. Um, if I would pass away before Dave, Dave doesn't automatically get my share. My share would go to whomever I dictate in my will, and if I don't have a will, it would be based on the intestacy laws as far as who would inherit that, okay? You want to touch on joint tenants well, with right of survivorship? Joint tenants with right, right of survivorship is, is a, another form of joint tenancy, and what it is is it's like husband and wife, but you're not married. You, uh, so what happens is is you take tenants uh, basically to as to 100% of the property, but you each own 50%, so to speak, during your lives. Um, once someone passes away, that entire property interest shifts to the other person by operation of law. That's right. So you wouldn't have to open an estate if you think about, uh, I know a lot of times we're talking about the death of, a, of one of the, the joint tenants or the tenants in common. You have your probate assets and your non-probate assets. This would be what's called a non-probate asset. So it passes outside of the probate system simply by the effect of me passing away. If Dave and I did own title as joint tenants with right of survivorship, Dave is now the sole owner of that property. I don't need to open an estate. I don't need to sign a deed or my estate to sign a deed, transferring it over to Dave. Dave is the owner. So then joint tenants, uh, or excuse me, well, tenancy one, by One, one other thing, though, on joint tenancy right of survivorship, even though you don't have to open an estate, you might have to file an inheritance tax return Correct. as to that 50% interest, depending on how long you've owned the property. But again, another good reason to, if something like that happens, check with your attorney, your real estate um, attorney, or estate planning attorney, on that issue. Right. And then the, just to take it a step further to, to conclude that, the tenancy by the entireties is where a husband and wife are the owner of the property, uh, or, or spouses, uh, now that, that same-sex marriage is acknowledged in Pennsylvania. It would be spouses holding title, and you need that, that trigger either as husband and wife or as tenancy by the entirety. Just like joint tenants with right of survivorship, but this adds you an additional protection from those creditors that we were talking about earlier, that it is a pre protected marital asset at that point. That's correct. Uh, thanks for joining us today uh, for talking about purchasing real estate before you get married. Purchasing real estate, I'm sorry, with your significant other <laughs> before you get married. Uh, join us again. I'm, I'm not sure which day it is. Uh, we have another coming up soon. Facebook yep. Live Q&A event uh, coming up on special September 6th on special needs trusts uh, for uh, your children who uh, may have a disability that needs. Yep, thank you guys again for tuning in, and if any other questions kind of trickle in, um, we'll, we'll try to get back to those guys. So thanks again.